Welcome to Spread the Word Now. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. The Lord Jesus declares, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is my earnest prayer that as you receive the ever-living word, the brokenhearted will be healed, they'll be liberty to the oppressed, recovery of sight to the spiritually blind, in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray that the words you hear will not be persuasive words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith will not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Paul Valley here from Living Stones Church and Spread the Word. I pastor here in the city of Red Deer, and I want to begin by wishing you a happy new year. My message today is what becomes our focus in life shapes who we ultimately become like. There is one thing that will change us, and that's worship. This idea of transformation that occurs through worship, this word occurs three times in the New Testament, and each time it reflects the, the effects of what true worship does. The change that comes from God's Spirit working within us to impact the world around us. It's a process called sanctification, whereby God changes us into His likeness. Paul says in the one text in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The second place that word is used is in the story of Jesus being transfigured where He's changed and we recognize His divine nature. God is working at transfiguring or changing our lives from the inside out. And finally, the third place is the word is going to be used is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And that's the text we want to look at today. It brings about change in our lives. So in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we discover four things about the power of worship that changes us. The first is really an explanation. Why do we worship God? What are the reasons we do that? What we need to understand is that as human beings, we were designed by God to worship. But often people find themselves worshiping either what's wrong or they're worshiping things. Worship then is when we give our deepest affections and praise to something. We, we worship God, first of all, because of who He is. He's worthy to be worshiped. I think most people have a very limited view of worship. Many times people see worship as simply coming to a church service and singing songs of praise but worship is so much more. Warren Worsby in his book, Real Worship, says when you consider all the words used for worship in both the Old and New Testaments, and when you put the meanings together, you find that worship involves both attitudes like awe, reverence, respect, our actions, bowing, praising, singing, serving. It's both subjective or internal and heartfelt, and it's also objective, it's outward. It's uh, doing things like singing, giving, serving. Worship is not an unexpressed feeling, nor is it an empty formality. True worship is balanced and involves the mind, the emotions, and the will, the total personality. It must be intelligent. It must reach deep within and be motivated by love, and it must lead to obedient actions that glorify God. We worship God not only because of who He is, but what He has done. What we do is an expression of who we are. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're encouraged to worship God because of the incredible mercies He has done on our behalf. The ultimate mercy of God comes through Jesus Christ's sacrifice when He died on the cross. The book of Romans is actually the most systematic presentation of God's salvation for human beings. 
We discover God's motivation in giving his life for us is because of his love. When we consider how much God demonstrated his love and mercy toward us, the only adequate response is worship. That's why Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This chapter of Romans marks a transition that moves from what God has done on our behalf to how we should respond in life towards him and others. Whenever you read the word, therefore, it's always pointing us back to what's just been said. So what were some of the mercies that Paul had written about in the first 11 chapters of the book? Well, first of all, we are made righteous in God's eyes. Through Christ's substitutionary death, we now have a right standing before God, allowing us to come into his presence. That's a very powerful thing when you consider that no unrighteous person was ever able to do that. This gift came through faith in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Romans 3.22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The entire Old Testament revealed a barrier between God and people. The whole sacrificial system with a high priest who entered the presence of God but once a year revealed to us the problem of access. But now through Jesus, we have a new, immediate, and continuous access to God. Faith in Christ creates a new, pure heart, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that only the pure in heart would see God. That also suggests that there are some who will be excluded from God's presence. There's a battle going on for our souls. We must continue to trust in Christ day by day, growing in our faith life, helping us to overcome all the challenges that are out there to destroy our faith. And then there are people who choose to go their own way, overcome by sin and evil, which ultimately leads to eternal separation from God. In the final books of, of Scripture, Revelation says this, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But then in verse 8 of chapter 21, he says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, we have to understand death speaks of separation. The first death is a physical and spiritual separation. The second death is an eternal separation from God. But through God's mercies revealed in Christ, we've been forgiven, cleansed, and put into a right relationship with God and declared righteous. What is even more incredible is that we've been justified and now have peace with God. In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin is such a barrier that it creates uh, problems for us to have access to God. Our sins have been taken away by Jesus, our sin bearer. The legal idea here is that our sins have been removed from our account. This word of justification is just as if we had never sinned, absolutely forgiven. People may bring up our past, but God chooses not to remember. In other words, he does not hold it against our legal account. The devil may come and taunt us, remind us, condemn us, but God's forgiveness is complete. And the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We've also been given a new identity and a power to live a new life. And it comes through the Holy Spirit that's at work within us. 
Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the spirit who brought you about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. It is in the power of this relationship that we are changed and are able to live a new life. The second thing we discover is the extent of worship. We may have many conceptions regarding worship. Many believe, as I've already said, that they think it's just the singing part of a worship service. But we may or at that point or may not be worshiping. It's not about form, but what's transpiring within our hearts. Here in our text, it tells us that we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. In Romans 12, 1, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. When we voluntarily give ourselves to God, something powerful happens. John MacArthur shared years ago of a woman who came after, after a conference and asked him, she says, I just can't seem to live the Christian life the way I should. I'm frustrated. I don't have spiritual victory or a sense of accomplishment. I struggle with the simplest forms of obedience and live a constantly defeated life. When she was asked what she had tried to do to solve the problem, she says, I've done everything I can think of. And then she says, I've tried to get everything I can from God, but I can't, uh, that I can, but I'm not satisfied. I'm still miserable and want more. To which MacArthur answered her, I think you have just put your finger on the problem. The key to spiritual victory and true happiness is not in trying to get all we can from God, but in giving all that we are and have to Him. God has already given Himself to us. The issue is, have we fully given ourselves to Him? The offering of ourselves is described in Scripture as true worship. And to withhold ourselves from God is not only unwise, rather it's unloving. As MacArthur points out, there can be no sanctification or becoming Christ-like, no holy living apart from our bodies. That's why Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians, May the God of peace sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus. The third thing we discover is the evidence of true worship. Worship is described both positively and negatively. We are not to conform to the ungodly values of our society. The word world could be translated age, and now we are told in scriptures that we're living in this present evil age. It's influenced by demonic forces, and there's no question in our minds of the evil that is occurring in our world. And the only solution is actually surrendering to God. When we conform to this present evil age, we're, we're doing so and we're going to live in a defeated state. We are to become transformed, the Bible says, by the renewing of our minds. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The real battle for our souls is being fought in our minds. And that's why Paul in Philippians encourages us to nurture our minds by what we feed it. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, noble, right, whatever's pure, lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We're also encouraged in that same epistle to have the mind of Christ, which is a mind of humility. Humility is the key to healthy relationships. Pride divides people, humility unifies people. When we esteem others better than ourselves, we're gonna treat them far better. Here in the surrender of our lives as living sacrifices, we're told that we must not allow non-biblical values to, to uh, squeeze us 
into the values of our society, but rather we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that's why the scripture says in Psalm 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist actually says that we're not to walk in the ways of the wicked, but rather we're to meditate on God's word day and night. It's fascinating that even medical research today is talking about the impact that things like prayer and meditation have even upon our minds. The final thing we discover is the effects of worship. It causes us to discover God's purpose for our lives. In Romans 12, 2, it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Worship affects the entirety of our lives. It's not just a few minutes on Sunday morning. It's not just singing a few songs. It's the outcome of an encounter with God and flows out of that communion with Him into our relationship with those around us moment by moment. It causes a change of life, a life becoming more and more like the one we are worshiping. When we worship Him, we become like Him. And that's why I want to challenge you in the beginning of this new year to set aside time each day to read scripture, meditate on them, and then put them into practice. And the result is worship. And what we worship, we become like. And when we become like God, we will begin to act like Him. Our focus then begins to shape what we will ultimately become like. You've been listening to a message from Spread the Word Global Ministries Red Deer. If you'd like more information, you can contact us at info at spreadthewordglobalministries.org or info at spreadthewordnow.org or through our website at www.spreadthewordglobalministries.org. Our phone number is 587-377-7745. Thank you. Bye for now.